It is Tuesday, April 27th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And joining us today is the co-founder of Roster Watch, a co-host of the Roster Watch show on SiriusXM Fantasy. He is Byron Lambert. Byron, thanks very much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, boys. I really appreciate you having me on. I look forward to talking this out. Absolutely. As we speak, it is, of course, two days from the start of the 2021 NFL Draft. We can finally find out exactly what order the QBs will go in. We can finally see how the Raiders plan to screw up their top pick this time. It's an annual rite of passage, I think. But we're focused on fantasy here, as always. So our focus for today is going to be on NFL draft prospects who look overrated or underrated by fantasy drafters at this point. We're going to primarily be using the rookie draft ADP from DynastyLeagueFootball.com, those mock drafts run by Ryan McDowell over there. Before we get to the picks, though, Byron, uh, I know that you're a veteran of senior bowl trips. We were talking a little bit about it before the show. Um, So that experience this year was it any different from previous years, just in terms of what you were able to see in the players or even what you got of the experience of watching the players? Actually, it was improved because they moved to a new stadium, uh, University of South Alabama. It's a beautiful, beautiful new facility, and it just set up wonderfully for watching football and scouting the practices. It's just got a better line of sight and it is a mint condition. So, uh, from that perspective, it was phenomenal. Where we were limited is in our, you know, every year we get a lot of media access to the players there. And, you know, there wasn't, you didn't have the capability to interview the players or maybe kind of uh, rub elbows with the, some of the scouts and agents in the ways that we have in years past. But, you know, mostly I'm there for practice every year anyways, the three days of practice. That's where we take away the most intelligence that, uh, results in you know being impactful in, in our fantasy leagues the following mm-hmm. year so we're there we've been scouting senior bowls nfl combines training camps pro days for 10 years now at roster watch so i've seen a seen a lot of players and when you see a good one out there it really stands out now how often do you come away from like watching a player in live practice and like come away thinking differently of him than you know how he looks when you're watching him you know on your tv screen or on on a computer screen that matters. I, I think sometimes it's different than like your perception. I'll give you an example. I went to Ravens training camp a couple years ago and I just fell in love with Gus Edwards. He's awesome. Guy's an awesome running back and the team loves him. They love him in that building. Right. And he was a guy that may be going there. I mean, even at me as an avid fantasy analyst, I mean, Gus Edwards at that point was still kind of you know, he's just kind of perceived as maybe just a guy, right? And uh, you get there and you say, damn, like that, Gus Edwards is a, he's a real, real player. So sometimes you'll see that. Sometimes guys will move a little bit better in person than maybe you expected. You know what I mean? Like Keenan Allen, what was he, a 4-7 guy at his pro day out of Cal? And then, I mean, I went to the training camp. I said, I've never seen I mean, there's only a few guys I've ever seen run routes. Like this guy moves unbelievably, right? So there's definitely something to be taken away. The running backs, the running backs is very interesting to see how they move on the field. You know, you there's a big difference. There's some guys just prowl. They just move like a different animal out there, you know. So that may, it does make, make a difference. So who stood out to you, good or bad, at this year's Senior Bowl? Well, you know, first and foremost, Mac Jones, 
I've really been keyed in on scouting quarterbacks for the last decade. I, it's like, at least in our community at roster watch, you know, I was, as I've contributed there over the last decade, I think I've kind of been known for my quarterback analysis. And I was very clear after that senior bowl, that Mac Jones was the best senior bowl quarterback performance I'd ever seen through a week of practice. If not the best, I mean, right at the very top. And we're talking about Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, all of those guys had good senior bowls. And I left and I said, Mac Jones is right at the top of that mountain uh, for sure. So he looked amazing. I predicted after the senior bowl that he should be viewed as a top 10 talent. I didn't know it was going to result in him actually looking like he's probably going to go top 10, maybe top five, maybe top three in this draft. He's that kind of player. I left thinking for sure. He was definitely one of the reasons that the receivers at Alabama looked as good as they did. It wasn't just the opposite way where he was the one benefiting from having these great receivers. You could tell he's such a good quarterback. That that was a reciprocal relationship out there at Alabama. He was a contributing factor. So Mac Jones blew me away. He's a stud prospect. I know people in San Francisco are a little bit out of shape. (laughs) I get why. I mean, you got to love the other. It's it's an amazing quarterback class. The best quarterback class I've scouted in 10 years. There's truly – five guys that are worthy of a top 10 pick uh, you're splitting hairs it's a little bit of it's going to be like what your philosophy is as an organization as to what flavor you prefer but i think people do need to rest assured that mac jones is a stud quarterback prospect he looks like he's going to transition very well and i understand why kyle shanahan's interested and then the other guys i'd say were uh, um amari rogers the slot receiver from clemson and then just a few half-speed drills we saw from Najee Harris live out there. That guy's the real deal. He's he's RB one as a rookie immediately. Like not not RB not number one, but he's an RB one. He'll be a top twelve running back in redraft this year. I think if he lands in Pittsburgh too, I mean he's obviously going to have the opportunity to you know finish among the top twelve running backs in total touches at least. I um, mean going back to Mac Jones, I was going to say it's funny that everyone thinks Kyle Shanahan is this genius until. He, you know, evidently decides Mac Jones is his guy, then he's like an idiot. So you know, I, I think we should trust Kyle Shanahan. Maybe he knows what he's doing if he does take Mac Jones at three. He's got a lot of Joe Burrow to him. So, you know, for if that's the way you view him, you would give up a haul for Joe Burrow last year, right? So I get that economics are a little different in this draft class, but if that's the way the 49ers view him, I think it's uh I can I can I can get behind it. It'll be fun to see what happens when we can actually get to the draft and stop with the rumors and see what really goes down. Let's move on now, though, to overrated, underrated prospects for fantasy folks going forward. Of course, this is some based on perception, too. We only have so much information to go on, but this is what we have to go on right now. So we'll start with the overrated guys because we like to be negative. Byron, as our guest, why don't you give us the first guy that you think from a fantasy standpoint looks overrated heading into NFL draft? People love negativity, don't they? Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, you look at, you said wide receiver. Anybody. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to start with the wide receivers. I mean, Jalen Waddell at wide receiver four. I know once you're, you know, there's only so many spots you can go up when you're, you know, that, that high in the rankings, but there it's a, there's a big margin of difference at that, you know, at that point, it's like, the difference between four and two is potentially a lot, right? Whereas the difference between 10 and 12 is sometimes trivial, right? So I think Jalen Waddle is egregious at four. I mean, there's no way in any 
world where he should be lower than three. And in my opinion, he should be wide receiver two, you know, sight unseen at this point in any rookie draft. So that, that would be my first underrated. That's fine. You can start, you can start on the positive side. There's nothing wrong with that. That'd be my first underrated wide receiver. Sorry guys. (laughs) And then Elijah Moore at wide receiver seven, he's underrated. Like he needs to be a top four or five guy. He looks like Brandon Cooks or John Brown or Tyler Lockett or Marquise Brown out there. He's got the chops to separate. Those are my two highly undervalued guys at the top. And I think if you look a little lower, I'm not a big Kadarius Tony guy from what I saw at the Senior Bowl. Not that he's a bad player. I was just really shocked after seeing him at the Senior Bowl to find out that he was viewed as a first-round pick in, in NFL draft circles. He reminded me a lot of like a – KJ Hamler type or something out there, like a good, good player. One, I'm curious what type of real impact he can have like over the long run in the NFL, but look, he's a consensus round one pick amongst all the notable experts and media personalities in the industry. So when you look at these rankings and see that he's wide receiver 10, like you guys know that fantasy production is very well correlated to draft capital. So, I mean, there's clearly some arbitrage here. If he's being drafted as wide receiver 10, which is probably a day two or three pick that may never even play versus, you know, the one round one pick he's being acclaimed to be by most of the people in the know. I mean, that almost guarantees he's going to get a lot more opportunity than, than wide receiver 10. Right. Yeah. I actually kind of forced myself to rank Tony higher than I wanted to just factoring in that, you know, He's going to be a top 50 pick. He might be around one pick. I do think he's interesting in fantasy because he can add value with Russian production if his NFL team lets him do that. And if he has a first round pick, I got to imagine his NFL team is going to, you know, get him the ball on the ground. You know, we, we see guys like Robert Woods, guys like Curtis Samuel. I, I think Curtis Samuel is probably my favorite comp for Tony. You know, Samuel is someone who split time at different positions in college. Took a bit of a while to get going in the NFL. I think Tony could be similar, but if he's going to get you know, 20 to 30 carries a season. That, that's that's a pretty big deal for fantasy. Yeah, and the other side, though, is Nicole um, Hardman, who actually spent an extra year than Kadarius Tony did focused on wide receiver in college. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying because Nicole Hardman is slow getting going for fantasy owners right now that Kadarius Tony is a bad pick, but that's kind of my hesitation is I'm not sure if I want to bother with Kadarius Tony if I'm expecting to have to wait for what I'm going to get. I'm not even really sure what the ceiling is going to be when I get there, especially if I have to take him over somebody who is a more proven wide out De'Ami Brown in that range, Tylen Wallace, for example. I think Paris Campbell was another reasonable comp here for Tony, yep. that type of player, right? I mean, he's, he hasn't contributed for injury reasons, but a guy that you're interested in that seems like he could have a big impact, but you're just, it's, it's, it's not totally clear. Right. Yeah, and I'm totally with you on Elijah Moore being undervalued. I mean, if an if an NFL team takes Kadarius Tony over Elijah Moore, I just I don't understand. I think Moore basically already is what you're hoping Tony can become. So you know, Elijah Moore has been getting more round one buzz now over the past few days. Uh, I've, I've read that he might be the fourth wide receiver off the board, which I think would be totally reasonable. And yeah, I, I think he is undervalued in, in in that dynasty ADP right now. Jared, who else do you have in the underrated category? Yeah, so Elijah Moore was one of my guys. Let's move to a running back. I think Trey Sermon over on DLF, he is running back eight. He's 25th overall. And for me, you know, beyond the top three guys, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, I think Trey Sermon in this class has the best chance to emerge as 
his team's lead back, you know, probably not workhorse. That's probably going too far, but you know, someone who can carry 220 times and also catch, you know, 30 or so balls in a season, he's six foot 215 pounds. He ran a four six in the 40, but the rest of his testing was good. 80th percentile vertical, 88th percentile broad jump, 85th percentile three cone. So he's a plus athlete at that size. You know, he had an up and down college career, but he definitely flashed at times, you know, especially down the stretch this past season. And, you know, there's a lot of film guys who like him quite a bit, you know, that that I trust. So again, for me outside the top three, I'm just looking for upside for fantasy. And I think Sermon has as much, if not more upside than anyone outside those top three guys. I would agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, you see RB8 in the current ADPs and I think it's pretty clear that Sermon is emerging basically as the consensus RB4 in this class, you know, amongst the industry. No, by the way, it's a pretty bad running back class. I mean, that's, I think everybody basically agrees on that at this point. You know, my comp was Jamal Williams for basically the reasons that you laid out. I don't think over any long period of time, he'll ever be viewed as like a full-blown starter or workhorse, but I think he can definitely be a rotational guy that gets quite a few touches, you know, in a season or potentially like let's say he's on a team where there's running back injuries and you find out Trey Sermon's getting the start and he doesn't have a lot of competition for touches in a particular week. Like he's a dude you'll be interested in flexing off your waiver wire or playing for men's salary over, you know, on a, you know, on a DFS slate or something like that. If, if there's ever a situation emerges where he, it's pretty clear that he's going to get some notable volume of touches. I, th- I think that's, I think that's what you got with Sermon. So yeah, I agree. Eight is too low, man. I'll be very curious to see if he sneaks into the end of round two or even early round three, because it, it seems like there's at least a pocket within the fantasy community that's just waiting for Trey Sermon to blow up. There has been some more buzz on him generating lately. He has climbed up in like best ball ADP for redraft um, recently. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him climb and be curious to see where he goes. I wonder where Trey Sermon falls on the joyfulness scale with Jamal Williams, because I'm not sure any player on pro football reference has a a more smiley headshot than Jamal Williams. (laughs) I'll tell you guys something funny about how these things always, this the draft cycle always comes full circle and in a variety of ways. We were at the senior bowl. I think it was day three of the senior bowl. And I looked over at my business partner, Alex, my co-host Alex and uh, over at roster watch. And he just said, man, this is a bad, bad running back class out here. And we said, but what? So maybe we need to start thinking about Trey Sermon, just standing down there on the sidelines with Najee Harris and Devonte Smith as one of these guys that came to kind of like, be there and to participate in everything except for the on-field drills, you know, to meet the agents interview, or I mean, to interview with the uh, NFL teams and the scouts and, you know, all that. Usually those are the better players, you know, or at least the ones that have gotten information that they've got a decent draft grade that they don't feel like they have to participate 100%, you know, in senior bowl week. And so we didn't see anything on the field from sermon, that week. And I hadn't watched film on him yet, but I remember we said, man, this, this is already looking like a bad running back class. I wonder if we're going to need to circle back and see what the deal is on sermon. And You mentioned uh, Amari Rogers at the top there. I know he went through some running back drills at his pro day. Do, do, do you think there's any chance that he, he makes that move? I mean, I think he could be you know, like a top six or seven running back in this class if he makes that move. Yeah. I think it's a 0% chance that the NFL makes that move. I think it's the reverse 
Antonio Gibson or kind of like the reverse Chase Claypool where they, where they worked Claypool out at tight end last year. They worked Antonio Gibson out. Antonio Gibson looked like a stud running back at the senior bowl. And then they go work him out kind of a receiver also at his pro day. So the teams are looking for versatility. I actually interviewed Amari Rogers about two weeks ago on roster watch. And uh, I asked him that very specific question. We talked about that topic and um, it, it was really teams. They view him as a wide receiver, but they just want to know if like on occasion they could move him into the backfield for like, like a Brandon Ayuk or a D Debo Samuel or one of these guys who will get like one touch out of the backfield. You see Kyle Shanahan do it with Debo, right? Or somebody that you can kind of, fake people out coming through motion back there. Like there's no real thought to moving him to running back. The guy's a great wide receiver. His dad, T Martin is the wide receiver coach for the Baltimore rank Ravens. And he's also the former quarterback for the Steelers and university of Tennessee he came out in 2000. So he's been raised to be a wide receiver and the guy is an excellent wide receiver. So it was a head scratcher when they did that because he dominated the senior bowl at wide receiver. I mean, he dominated like, Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel and Jamison Crowder and McLaurin, some of these guys that have really popped after having a great senior bowl. He, he did that same exact, he put that same show on. So much like Gibson the year before, a little head scratcher, they see that performance and then want to go tinker with moving positions. But I, I think what we've found out is that the NFL is just looking for situational versatility from some of these guys. They value that. And uh, that's really all it is with Rodgers. I like Amari Rodgers better than Jared does. I'll be curious to see where he lands on draft weekend. I have another wideout on my underrated list that uh, seemed to pop at the senior bowl. Josh Palmer from Tennessee. Downfield threat, good size in this class with a ton of small guys, 6'1", 210. Um, like I said, stood out at the senior bowl. Daniel Jeremiah called him an early winner there. Only Cade Johnson got a higher PFF receiving grade at the senior bowl than Josh Palmer did in workout. 16.6 yard Average depth of target last year ranked 31st among 510 draft eligible wideouts, according to Pro Football Focus. Market shares okay last year, haven't been great. So maybe he was underused, or maybe there was a reason he was a little used at Tennessee. What'd you see, Byron, from Josh Palmer down at the Senior Bowl? Yeah, I thought he was sneaky good all week, actually. I mean, it wasn't a guy that leapt off the field at you, but a guy I kept turning over to Alex and saying, hey, like, just keep a little bit of an eye on Palmer. Like he's kind of slick down there and he's got a good frame and he's kind of having a sneaky under the radar. Here's the thing about this class, right? Like I know the running back class is bad. And I think after some of the protos, people started to come off even the wide receiver class. I think this is a good wide receiver class. I mean, maybe the very, look, it's got great top shelf talent. Maybe the top five is not as good as last year's top five, which was historic, but the depth of this class is awesome undoubtedly there's going to push some good players pretty far down in like the rankings across the industry. Right. So this is going to be pretty hard to get super high on a guy like Palmer. But to me, when you're starting to throw darts or take flyers on these dudes that are lower in the rankings or, you know, later in the draft, you want the size speed catch radius players. So to me, it's very evident. It's Nico Collins. It's Josh Palmer, Des Fitzpatrick out of Louisville. All three of those guys we saw at the Senior Bowl, all sneaky good weeks that have some of the physical attributes that you're you're really really looking for there. I think Palmer and Fitzpatrick actually had were similar in a lot of ways. I like both of them 
And then Nico was just a little more of a guy who beasted at the catch point, like very, very regularly against good corners, but wasn't separating. So we just needed to see what he was going to run, but he ran well. So to me, if you're going later in the rankings, those are definitely the dudes you're going to key in on just based on, on upside. And I think, I think you have Tamori and Terry there at Florida state might be the other dude that kind of fits that box. Yeah, I'm with that. I mean, especially in this class, there's so many you know guys we're worried about size, whether it be height or weight. So, you know, Palmer, someone who, who definitely has the size. I've heard a couple people mention him as a sleeper in this wide receiver class. I, I watched two games of him last week, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. He didn't really jump off the film to me. I also think I, I look at his career at Tennessee, you know, kind of underwhelming. You know, he couldn't surpass like Jawan Jennings or Marquez Callaway over his you know first few seasons there. And then even last year, but those guys gone, he didn't have too big of a season. So it doesn't really check the production box for me, but as a later round pick, I do think, you know, he has that size that makes him intriguing. Yeah, definitely like a round four, round five uh, rookie draft kind of prospect, not too early. A couple other, we're talking about the the size, how, especially when you get later in a rookie draft, you want to go for somebody who is a winner on size, you know, catch radius, just to differentiate from this, this world of slot receivers that are about to flood the league in this class. But Austin Watkins, I think, is interesting. Cousin of Sammy Watkins and Devondre Campbell and J. Ron Curse and Jalen Watkins. Uh, started at Community College, but then went to UAB. Good market shares in 2019. Second team all-conference that year. First team all-conference this past year, despite playing just seven and nine games. And then the final name I want to bring up is Michael Strawn. And if you see his name, it looks like Strachan. But it's actually Mike Strawn. Grew up in the Bahamas. Came to the States in high school football, basketball, track athlete in high school, ran track in addition to playing football at Charleston at the D2 level. He delivered the dominant kinds of market shares that you hope to see from a pro prospect when he plays at that low a level. 2018, he was over, he was almost 32% receptions, almost 43% receiving yards, 53% touchdown catches. 2019, he was at 35.6% receptions, 41.5% 41.5% yards, 67.9% of Charleston's touchdown catches that year. He was the first guy in school history to hit 1,000 receiving yards in a season. Then he did it again the following year. So, you know, we'll see what he has for the NFL level. He's kind of old for a prospect. I believe he's going to be 24 before opening day. But again, if we're looking at the end of a rookie draft, round five, here's a guy that's 6'5", 225, and ran a sub 4640. You always got to remember these things, these wide receiver classes really go about 25 or 30 deep and guys that you could actually be like somewhat interested in. Right. I mean, last year it was what Quintez Cephas, you know, guys like that, that you, you like hard to even get them in your top 20 or something maybe, but ultimately like decent prospects kind of reared their head a little bit. You saw t- Tyler Johnson last year. I mean, he was a little higher for some folks, but uh, Quez Watkins, man, he had a little trouble getting lined up at the senior bowl that worried us a little bit, like getting his assignments right. But he did have some definitely like flashed a little bit of athletic ability out there. That's for sure. All right. So we tried to get you to spit venom from the start, but you opted for rainbows. Now it's time to get negative though. Who give me somebody who's overrated as a fantasy prospect at the moment. I'm, I'm, I would too nice guys. Um, (laughs) Well, I thought Rashad Bateman, even though I liked him was a little bit high in these ADPs. I think like, I'm in a difference for me. That was more, uh, I think he, he was wide receiver two in the ADPs that you guys sent. So to me, that's, that's Jalen Waddle territory. 
<laughs> I have Bateman, Bateman, who I like. I have him as my wide receiver six in my rankings. I think he could go as high as wide receiver four or five in any reasonable set of rankings. Maybe three if you hate Devontae Smith or whatever. So to me, he's really like probably about wide receiver five in this class on consensus. So to see him wide receiver two in ADP is just like by definition, he's overvalued. So is it just the film on them, Jalen Waddle versus Rashad Bateman, that steers you so strongly toward Waddle over Bateman? I mean, it's just the explosive athleticism of Waddle. I, you look at him and you can imagine Tyreek Hill. Will he turn into it? I, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe he'll be Ruggs or Marquise Brown, but that's a tantalizing upside. It's the, the thing with Waddle is not just the speed, but it's the power he plays with. Like that's the thing that separates Tyreek Hill. That's why he's an amazing hundred meter sprinter or 60 meter versus somebody who runs like a 40, the difference in a long, in like a hundred meter sprinter and like a four, you know, a 40 or 60 meter sprinter is converting the speed to power. And Tyreek Hill generates so much power. You can see how powerful he is, right? When he runs, this is obvious. It's different than watching a smooth, fast guy. You can just see. And so to me, when you watch Waddle, you see that kind of power. And it's tantalizing. And he's clearly the kind of player that's going to be able to get the ball, ball in a variety of ways. And I think he's going to be drafted very, very high. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, that's what kind of put, put Waddle over. You know, ba- Bateman has awesome film. You know, the, the, the measurables at the pro day were a little bit less than you were hoping for. I came away thinking that he looks a lot like a Juju or a Nelson Aguilar to me. I think he kind of plays like Juju and Nelson Aguilar's body to tell you the truth. Juju is more of like a 215 pound guy. So those are good comps. Those are good comps. I like Bateman a lot, but just not enough to push him to number two. Bateman's pro day was so confusing to me to weigh in at 190 and then run like a four, three, nine, 40. Cause to me on film, he looks like he's like two ten, and he looks like a, you know, a four or five guy. So I'm, he, he just confuses me a bit, but I mean, his, his production, throughout his career at Minnesota was really strong. I think he's another guy who has a chance to be a first round pick on Thursday night. Yeah, definitely a very, very good looking player. And I, I would deserve being a first round pick if, if he is. All right, Jared, we don't want to make Byron be too negative all at once. So why don't you give us a, an overrated prospect? Yeah, Rondell Moore. And I hate it because he, he's such a fun player to watch. And he's someone I, I kind of, you know, I wish I could get some pieces of in Dynasty. But if, if he's going, you know, at wide receiver five, ninth overall, which where he is in ADP, I'm probably not going to have much of him. Um, you know, obviously the freshman season was awesome, but we just didn't see much of him after that because he had multiple hamstring injuries that cost him 11 of Purdue's 18 games over the past two seasons. So, you know, I think durability is a concern. He ran a very limited route tree at Purdue. You know, the vast majority of his stuff was around the line of scrimmage. So I think, and listen, he, he's awesome. You know, he, he gets separation on those shorter routes. He's, he's probably the best after catch wide receiver in this class. But I, I just wonder if he's going to become more than that at the next level. And then there's the height. I mean, you know, pe- people talk about Devontae Smith's weight, which is obviously a concern. But Rondell Moore being 5'7", I mean, th- there's only been one 1,000-yard season by a wide receiver 5'7 or shorter in NFL history. So you know, he, he would be kind of you know breaking the mold if he becomes this, you know, fantasy stud, which a lot of people think he's going to be. Rondell Moore, I think, is the kind of guy that you hope that your NFL team drafts because whatever he does is going to be fun to watch. But I'm just a little scared of the fantasy outlook because I don't know what his pro role looks like. I don't know how important the durability issues of the past two years will prove to be. You know, maybe he'll outgrow those and it's not an issue, but it's worrisome when a guy comes in with hamstring issues. The counter argument 
on him from more people is like, how can you question size for more and not question size for Devontae Smith, who is also a unicorn size wise, if he does produce in the NFL. And I get that. I mean, you can certainly, that's a a valid argument. I have an easier time projecting Devontae Smith's role into the NFL though, than I do Rondale Moore. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe he just ends up being a five, seven wideout that we haven't seen before, but at where you have to draft him, I, I just, I can't get comfy with, you know, betting that that's going to happen. Yeah. We're all over the place on Rondale Moore at roster watch. I actually sat down with Rondale Moore for one-on-one interview this off season. He's an awesome, awesome kid. His tape is clearly electric. Uh, we can dismiss the durability issues. The two hamstring issues he had were, it was totally unrelated. And he, that's a non-issue with him. The size is an issue though. And look, when you talk about Devontae Smith, it's the BMI that's that's the epic outlier with him, not necessarily the weight. We can find some guys that are 170 that have played, right? Deshaun Jackson, Hollywood Brown. Pretty fair to think at six foot one, Smith put on five pounds when he gets that second NFL puberty and like a real strength and conditioning program at the at the next level, right? So to be fair though, five foot seven is against all odds. That's a hard bet to make. Hard bet to make, especially the ADP is is pretty rich right now. So I love Rondell Moore. He has a chip on his shoulder. I'll tell you something very, very cool about him. He told me that if he wasn't a uh, professional football player, that he would be a professional gymnast. You guys can see that mm-hmm. on the tape. I mean, he's a stick of dynamite. He's like the most explosive mighty mouse you've ever seen. He's like the MJD of wide receivers or something. So rooting for him big, but it's, it's tough. It's tough to set aside the, the, you know, the five foot seven. So we root for him and I'm very interested in Rondale Moore, but just not at the very, very top of this Mm -hmm. class. I hope to see him drafted very early though. I'm certainly not going to be mad if he succeeds. I have absolutely nothing against him. I'm just not taking him in the middle of round one. It's also nice that all of us can see that chip on his shoulder because he's, he's a lot easier for us to you know view. Byron, do you have another overrated player from this rookie class? Dude, I asked, you know, these kids are nice. I have good interviews with all of them. I asked Rondell Moore and we were having a great interview. I just asked him very casually, like, has the size, durability stuff come up at all? And this was before his pro day. This was before we knew he was 5'7". He would he bristled at that question. He, you know, he, he he shut me down really, really. He was that one you could tell I touched like a, a a nerve a little bit on that one. And and I think we we came to find out why, right? He measured in at five foot seven. The other guys that I thought were a little bit too high, well, this is easy. I mean, Chuba Hubbard and Jamar Jefferson at the running back position. I just, you know, Chuba Hubbard, the disappointing pro day you know, the size profile, I think, you know, you think about justice Hill and these guys that come out of the Oklahoma state program, they can look pretty good at that program. I just don't think they project to really being super impactful volume guys at the next level. And then Jamar Jefferson, I know people want to quote the GPS, like 21 miles an hour top speed or whatever during the season. And so maybe that's something I still need to reconcile a little bit, but he had an abomination of a pro day with terrible, terrible, unacceptable athletic testing that is below the threshold at the next level. And me personally, somebody who's watched a lot of film over the years, I didn't think the film of Jamar Jefferson was good either. I look for some very specific position, specific skills when I watch these guys. And I didn't see Jefferson as a, as a very precocious, natural running back either. So it's a big step up in competition 
too, to this next level. There's a lot of guys who look good at running back at college and they don't look good or even really get the chance when they get the NFL. So those were two running backs. I thought ADPs were, were likely too high given what I, you know, the expected return that I'm anticipating. Jefferson, I'm with you on for sure. You know, he, he didn't do it for me on tape. And like you said, the, the pro day was, was horrible. Hubbard, I've gone back and forth on his pro day was, was okay. Like I think people expected him to run faster than, than four or five, but you know, four or five at 210 pounds, not horrible. Obviously the massive 2019 season. The thing I keep going back on in 2020, he supposedly was playing through a high ankle sprain for at least part of that season. If that's the case, like we know high ankle sprains are totally killers for running backs. I think you can almost throw out at least, you know, part of that season. If, if you're getting the guy that, you know, went for 2000 yards in 2019, I mean, that's intriguing. I, I think the Tevin Coleman comp is perfect for Hubbard. Like, I think he's that slashing speed type of running back. Never going to be someone who's going to get, you know, 18, 20 carries per game, but, you know, maybe 12 to 15 and you hope he breaks off some big plays. I think that, I think he could be that type of guy in the NFL. I have Hubbard Jefferson down as well, but I want to even expand it to something we mentioned earlier that I, I think this is just a bad running back class. And I think that in general, I would try not to overrate any individual player just because you're comparing him to the rest of that class. You know, just because Chuba Hubbard looks better than a lot of the other running backs this year doesn't make him a good NFL prospect. So I think beyond Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, Javante Williams, Trey Sermon, Kenneth Gainwell. I'm probably not going to be the drafter on any other running backs in this class. Maybe not even Gainwell. We'll see where he lands both NFL wise and where he starts going rookie draft wise. But I mean, I would just rather take one of these wideouts that's going to go in round two or round three of the NFL draft than reaching for a round four, round five running back you know, just because he landed in what looks like a positive situation in the NFL. A year later, any of these guys could be Rykel Armstead and doing absolutely nothing for your dynasty team. Well, and, and to your point, Jared, I thought the thing with Hubbard, the, the three down capability is so important to really to fantasy success, but also to really getting the, even the touches in the NFL, right? And I thought he was a better blocker than maybe some of our colleagues in the industry gave him credit for, but to your point, I just I don't see a guy that the NFL is ever going to view as somebody who plays on all three day downs and can really right. accumulate significant volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you there, Jared. Any other overrated guys? You mentioned Kenneth Gainwell. He, he's RB four in the ADP, which is a couple spots higher than I have him. But you know, to have him at eleventh overall, you know, have him in the first round of dynasty rookie drafts, I don't understand. I mean, I, I don't get why Gainwell is significantly higher than Michael Carter in this ADP we're looking at. I mean, I, I think they're very similar guys. They're, they're both actually exactly 201 pounds. Carter actually tested a bit, a bit better at his pro day, uh, you know, particularly in the agility drills uh, than Kenneth Gamble, which I think is important for an undersized guy or undersized guys like this, who are, you know, going to be more change of pace types. You know, Gainwell had just the one big season at Memphis opted out of the 2020 season. So I, I just have a lot of questions about him. And even if he hits again, you know, I think it's as a change of pace type guy. So I, I don't think he belongs in round one of the of these dynasty rookie drafts yeah i have gainwell and carter as my number six and seven running backs in this class so back to back i think it's a great point that you make jared that if you're going to like gainwell you probably need to like carter so if carter's adp is significantly lower it's clearly a better value at this point and somebody we would want to be keyed in on when we're looking at kind of like leverage versus adp at this moment in time you know with gainwell 
I think it's pretty simple. A lot of NFL teams are just going to look at tapping that Memphis running back pipeline. It's been a successful pipeline, right? Uh, But the overarching question is, is at 201 pounds, how much volume can you really get in the NFL? I don't think it's a whole lot. Some people will counter that with the fact that he's going to get receiving volume, which is going to make him more valuable for fans. It's kind of a neutralizing, a mitigating factor to any lack of volume. And, you know, I think you can make that case uh, for sure when it, when it, when it comes to gain well. Yeah. I mean, I think on, on top of those things, he ran a sub four five forty, and he has a 50 catch season behind him in college, but I agree that there's not a whole lot separating him and Michael Carter. And if Kenneth Gainwell stays in that later part of round one, I'm taking one of the receivers that's going there instead. I'm not taking Kenneth Gainwell and leaving Terrace Marshall on the board, for example, it just doesn't oh. work for me no matter what I'm trying to do. What, what was that reaction? That would, be, that would be an epic travesty. If that <laughs> and that's the, I mean, that's the range that you'd have to do it. You would have to leave somebody like that on the board to take Kenneth Gainwell. So yeah, man, even though I like Gainwell the player, I agree. I'm going to hit you for one of your guys though, man. I'm going to throw out, I'm on Ross St. Brown. All right. All right. That's what we wanted to hear, dude. Wide receiver eight in that DLF ADP 15th overall. What stands out about him besides the name and the backstory? I, I mean, He's fine, but I would have to take him over Deami Brown, for example, who looks like a bigger downfield threat. I think there's it's easier to see what Deami Brown's going to do for me in fantasy. And I like Tylen Wallace in there. I know that there's kind of both ways on him, but the production profile with Tylen Wallace, the way he rebounded from the ACL tear, I'm a little concerned about the family history thing, maybe him having a better chance of, of hurting that knee further going forward. But for now until I see the NFL let him stay on the board until round four or later, uh, I'm taking Tylen Wallace in that range over Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I view those – I kind of have a group of guys in my rankings that I kind of lump into a basket there. And I, right now I have Amon St. Brown a little bit above Tylen Wallace, but I think that's a – I think it's a group right there that you're kind of looking at. The one thing about St. Brown is he ran the bad 40 at his pro day, but he did have pretty good burst scores. So, you know, sometimes you see that it's a little weird when those don't match up because usually they both are some measure of explosiveness. But you see some explosive ability on tape with St. Brown. So when you see the horrible 40, you know, we're always looking for corroboration and agreement throughout this process. So when you get something like that, like that bad 40 just kind of throws you for a loop. You know, I think you say, okay, well, he did show some pretty good burst in those drills. So maybe that's kind of where his explosiveness comes. I think he's a little bit of a physical, you know, wide receiver. Uh, Tylen Wallace, dude, we my Alex, my business partner loves him because he also covers the Longhorns and scouts the Big 12. So he's been watching Wallace for a while and then he had a great senior bowl. I think people were a little I surprised he didn't run a little bit faster, you know, to be to be fair. Mm-hmm. I think that matches the tape. I didn't I didn't see, you know, great speed from Wallace on tape. You know, he's a contested catch guy. Um, and I think he's going to have to be at the NFL level. We'll, we'll see if he can be Cause same thing with Amon Ra, same Brown. I think, I mean, you, you mentioned the jumping drills, Byron. I, th- I think that shows up on tape. He is good in contested situations, but another guy don't see him creating a ton of separation. And I, I'm just not sure he's going to be as good at those contested catches in the NFL as he was uh, at USC durability. Also concern uh, for Amon Ra. St. Brown, he had two separate shoulder injuries at USC, uh, sports hernia surgery after the 2019 season. So, yeah, I, he's a guy I'm lower on than consensus, too. I don't even love Tylen Wallace, but I, I do have uh, Wallace ranked ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown right now. Well, I'm looking over at our buddy uh, Matt Kelly's 
player profiler right now on Tylen Wallace. I, I'm sure you guys have visited that site before. Nine percent burst, thirty-three <laughs> percent agility, eleven percent catch radius. Those are bad, bad statistical athletic numbers for a guy that's five eleven, one ninety-four. That you say is not separating. He's got to kind of win at the catch point. Is probably more of a slot than an outside receiver in the NFL. It's just, those were a little bit concerning numbers for, for Wallace. So I kind of put both those guys in that bucket to tell you the truth. Those big 12 receivers can be dangerous too. Like, oh, you know, they're, they're going to put up big numbers against those defenses. Those defenses but, are the worst. Man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's why we have market shares though, to explain away some of that stuff. But yeah, I, I mean, I think all of that is why Tylen Wallace is like in wide receiver 10 range, as opposed to wide receiver three or four. I think if, if somebody comes along with his production profile from college and winning downfield as he did and then tests well, I think that guy is, you know, in Rashad Bateman's spot right now. So as it is, I think his, his the, the downside's kind of baked in there. Byron, do you have any other overrated guys before we wrap this up? Man, y'all, I think we hit on all of them. I think we hit on all the overrated guys. Um, let's see if I got anything else here. I'll tell you, I'll give you one, under, one last underrated guy. <laughs> I thought at RB9 that Kylan Hill was a little bit low. Yes. He, he, that guy oh, yeah. Hill's my, 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 you know, later round sleeper running back. I like didn't notice him too much at the senior bowl. He kind of improved as the week went on running backs are a little hard to scout, at, you know, when, when you're not getting full contact drills, what stood out to me about Kylan Hill on tape was first of all, he had 29 targets in three games this last year. So people, a lot of people using statistical models for their rankings have not adjusted really. They're saying there's not a big enough sample last year because it didn't make sense to me. Kylan Hill is an excellent receiver on tape. Excellent, excellent receiver. So I couldn't figure out why his reception numbers were so low. I went back. I figured, well, they didn't start feeding until last year, dude. He was getting 10 targets a game. He's having seven receptions a game. He looked like a, he looked like a wide receiver out there almost. And then, so I said, okay, you put that together with, he looks has some pretty good feet. His burst ratings are pretty good. He didn't have the long speed. He ran four, five, seven at his pro day. I think it's good enough. Um, but the burst metrics came out pretty good. I think it was a 70 percenter for Kylan Hill. And I thought that showed up, man. He sheds, he's got good vision. He's got a little lateral agility. He's got good feet and he's got, I think he's got um, underrated pass catching capability. And at 214 pounds in a class that lacks size, I think you start saying Kylan Hill is a player we need to pay attention to. Yeah, I think I think probably behind Trace Herman, he might be the next guy with the best chance to be someone who you can be be his team's lead ball carrier and lead pass catcher. Showed both, you know, he never showed it at the same time in college, but he had a a nice rushing production season and then that you know big receiving production, even though it was only in a few games last season. Has the size, has the athleticism, so I, I'm hoping that he can you know maybe even like round four. I think would be a good result for Kylan Hill this weekend. Jared, any other guys you want to throw out there? No, my, my last underrated guy was uh, Seth Williams, but I mean, I don't need to say much about him. We'll see where he goes in the NFL draft. It, it, it seems like the NFL is not very high on him. So I'm like prepared for him to be a seventh round pick. And then I'm going to have to dump him down my rookie rankings, but I, I do like the size and he flashes some ability on tape. The tape super inconsistent, but you, you see some flashes of like a number one, wide receiver. He, he tested well. Again, you know, he's, he's like six two, 215 pounds. So he, he's someone I'm curious to see where and when he goes in the draft. 
I don't want this to go out on a positive note, so I'm going to go back to the overrated guys for one more and say Brevin Jordan, but more broadly the rest of the tight end class behind Pat Fryermuth because right now in the DLF ADP, Brian, Brevin Jordan's right with Pat Fryermuth, and I, I don't think that that's appropriate. I think it's Kyle Pitts, then Gap, then Pat Fryermuth, and then if you want a tight end, look to the guys that are easier to trade for on the market. I, that, I, Brevin Jordan's fine. The speed's interesting, but I don't think I didn't see anything that's really worth betting on. And we know that tight ends in general take a while to emerge. So I think that if you want a tight end, try trading for a guy like David Njoku, OJ Howard, Harrison Bryant from last year, Chris Herndon, before he has the chance to get the post Adam Gase effect. I would much rather see what I can get some of those guys for than take any of the tight ends behind Pat Fryermuth. And certainly I'm not taking Brevin Jordan ahead of some of the wideouts that you would have to do so to get him early in round three. I'm with you there. I mean, I do think if Jordan hits, it's going to be as a, as a, you know, pass catching tight end, which is what we want in fantasy. But I, I can't imagine outside of FFPC leagues, you know, with the tight end premium scoring, I can't imagine using a rookie pick on any tight end, not named Pitts or Fryermuth in this class. Byron Lambert of rosterwatch.com has been our guest today. Check out his work there. Follow him on Twitter at rosterwatch. Byron, please tell everybody where else they can find your stuff. Yeah, of course. You can follow us over on the rosterwatch YouTube channel. Uh, just search rosterwatch on YouTube. You guys can subscribe over there. And then obviously you can search any podcast platform for the rosterwatch podcast. And you guys can follow us through all of the travails of the off season from now until uh, draft season, we'll be launching the dynasty rookie draft cheat sheet at rosterwatch.com basically as soon as the draft expires. And then I will be off to training camps for the month of August, as I've done the last five years. Um, I'll usually go to about 10 training camps. That's always really, really fun. You guys can keep up with me along the way on the training camp tour this August, as we bring you exclusive uh, intelligence, uh, right from those camps uh, that are going to help uh, help you in your fantasy drafts. Nice. Sounds like a fun month. Thanks for uh, joining us before heading off on your vacation now. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good talking shop boys is a real pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. Okay. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this final episode of the draft sharks podcast before the 2021 NFL draft, check out our full set of 45 dynasty prospect scouting reports. They are all free to read now on DraftSharks.com, as are the past scouting reports. They're linked at the bottom of that article as well. Fresh on DraftSharks.com this morning is our pre-draft rookie rankings, combining the individual ranks of Jared, Kevin, and me. That's also a free read, so go check that out. We will be on the pod waves, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, throughout the first round of the NFL draft. Follow along there. Follow along in the Shark Bites section on DraftSharks.com, both that day and throughout the draft. You can find us on Twitter, of course, at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For our guest, Byron Lambert, Jared Smola, and the entire DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaufstein. Thanks so much for swimming with us. 